This morning I want to speak to you just for a few moments about Christmas, but I want us to consider probably the least familiar Christmas passage in all the Bible. In these two verses, we will find no mention of shepherds or a star or a stable. Nothing is said about the city of Bethlehem, an overpopulated inn or wise men that traveled from the east. Yet embedded in these two verses, we find the crucial message of Christmas. The passage is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Once you found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 4, let me read verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Apparently, sometime after Paul and Barnabas had founded the Galatian churches, there were false teachers that had infiltrated the church. They were spewing a poison of false doctrine, claiming that in order for a person to be in right standing with God, that individual had to first become a Jew before he or she could become a Christian. This caused the Apostle Paul to become irate. He is fuming. He is as angry as Nick Saban or Will Muschamp on the sidelines, minus many of the expletives. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatian churches for one reason, to set the record straight. He wants them to know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Anything added to or taken away from that equation is not the gospel of the Bible. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, even the Apostle Paul would adamantly say that the law has a purpose and a function even for you and for me as believers in Christ. But the law was never given to remove sin. The law was simply given to reveal sin. So you and I bump into a broader conversation when we come to our two verses this morning. Paul is addressing the role of the law in your life and in mine. He uses several analogies, illustrations that would have been very prominent and prevalent in the first century. In in Galatians chapter 3, it's the apostle who says that the law is like a prison warden, for the law reveals our sin. It indicts us as criminals in the holy court of God. We are guilty as charged. We are incarcerated both now and for all time. And there's no way that you and I could do uh, parole. I almost said payroll. Neither you or I could do uh, parole in and of ourselves. So the law is a prison warden. It locks us up, throws away the key. There's no way that you and I can get out of jail. Not in our own ability, in our own power. He then goes on and says that not only is the law like a prison warden, but it's also like a pedagogy. A pedagogy was a person that was employed by a wealthy parent 
that pedagogy was brought alongside to help raise the children. A pedagogy was kind of like um, a school teacher, a student pastor, uh, a police officer, a principal, a parent, all rolled up into one. The purpose of a pedagogy was to reinforce the teaching of the father. The purpose of the pedagogy was also to reveal disobedience and reprimand inappropriate actions. Paul says that's what the law has done in your life. It has served as a pedagogy, for it has reinforced the teachings of God our Father. It also reveals your disobedience and it reprimands you for inappropriate actions. When you and I come to our fourth chapter of the book of Galatians, he gives another illustration. He says the law... Not only is it like a prison warden, not only is it like a pedagogy, but it's also like a a guardian or a trustee. Will you imagine with me that you were born into a wealthy family? Your father is crazy rich, all right? Just imagine with me that, that you are part of a wealthy family and you have a large inheritance that is reserved for you But no father in his right mind is going to give the riches to a four- or five-year-old kid. So in the first century, a guardian or a trustee was placed over that child. And the guardian was kind of like a a around-the-clock supervisor. The trustee was a micromanager of the funds. So everything the child did, everything the child said, everything about the finances for that child was micromanaged by the guardian and the trustee. And Paul says that's what the law has been in your life. It has kind of micromanaged you. There were often times when a wealthy son or daughter didn't feel like a child, but felt like a slave to the guardian or to the trustee. Because the guardian or trustee always told them what to say and where to go. And there were more than one wealthy sons or daughters who wanted to tell the guardian or trustee where to go or what to do. But then... At just the appointed time of the father, the father would declare the inheritance upon his child. The father would say, now you have come of age. Now you are able. Now you are the recipient. You are the benefactor of this entire inheritance. And that time was appointed by the dad. It was appointed by the father. This is what the apostle Paul has in mind when you and I come to chapter 4, verse 4. And he says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. It was at the appointed time of the father. It was at the divine moment when God the Father said to you, his children, here, I am going to give you the inheritance. Because in Jesus, God broke the bank and gave it to you. In Jesus, God opened up the coffers and gave you the heavenly treasure chest. In Jesus, God has given his children the vast riches of all of eternity in Jesus Christ. So when you and I peer into the manger, we literally find our Messiah. When we look into that stable, we find the Savior. When we look into the cradle, we find our Christ. And in Jesus, we have everything that we could ever hope for. And in Jesus, we have everything that we've ever wanted. And in Jesus, we have everything that will carry us in this life and in the life to come. Jesus is the great jewel of heaven. He is the treasure chest. He is the bank that God broke. And he gave it to us in the fullness of time. At that just right moment, at the appointed time, God gave 
Christ to the world. In other words, Christmas happened. In just the right moment, when the time had fully come, Christmas occurred. Now, I've been told that time is a precious commodity, one of the most precious commodities known to man. All of us are bound by time. All of us have 168 hours in a week. We don't have any more. We don't have any less. There's no way we can speed it up. There's no way we can slow it down. As a child, we thought that time moved on as slow as molasses. The older we get, time races on and it passes us like a rushing river. But the truth of the matter is, is that time doesn't speed up and time doesn't slow down. We're all bound by time. In fact, um, if we receive something uh, at the appropriate moment, we say it is on time. The only reason we know it's not on time is because from our perception, it's either early or overdue. And we say, you know, it, it came early or it came late. But all of it is seen according to our perspective of time. In fact, when some individuals reach retirement age, they say, you know what? Now I don't even know what time it is. I don't even know what day it is. But by saying that, you're implying that there was a time when you were bound by time and bound by days and bound by weeks. Because all of our life is bound by time. And so... Paul says that at just the right time, in the fullness of time, at the perfect time, Christmas happened. And the way he describes Christmas in verse 4, he describes the gift of Christmas, which is Jesus the Christ. And then in verse 5, he tells us why Jesus was given at Christmas. So let's just unpack that for a few moments. In verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. What an extraordinary statement. God sent his son. This is a statement that reveals the full de deity of Christ. Jesus is fully God, made of the same essence, made out of the same stuff of God Almighty. Jesus is God. It's not that Jesus is another God or a creation of God or somewhat a demoted lesser God. Jesus is God. He is fully the Son of God. And God sent himself. God sent his Son. God sent Jesus. To say that God sent Jesus is not to say that God sent Jesus from here to there or from Bethlehem to Galilee or from Galilee to Jerusalem but God sent Jesus from heaven to earth. And this sending of the divine son is a cataclysmic event. It's one of the greatest events in all of human history. In fact, the, the arrival of Jesus is the defining mark of all of human history. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you've got to agree with me that all historians mark everything that's ever happened in conjunction with the arrival of Jesus, for everything is seen B.C. or A.D. Whether you're a believer or not, you cannot deny that the coming of Jesus is a huge event, in fact, upon which everything else in history hinges and swivels and finds its perspective. So... In the fullness of time, God sent his son. The coming of Jesus, the coming of Christmas is an amazing event. It's when the divine son stepped out of heaven and stepped into earth. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. 
To say that Jesus was born of a woman is to say that Jesus, the divine son, is completely human. He's completely divine, yes. He is completely human, absolutely. He is born of a woman. It is Martin Luther who says of the incarnation that it is God sinking himself down into our flesh. That's the incarnation, that this one who is equal with God. For Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. John begins his gospel that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This God Word sank himself into our flesh. Other theologians have said it is God wrapped in flesh. And this Jesus, fully God, is also fully man. To say that he's born of, of woman is one of the primary ways that the Bible speaks about humanity. It's Job in Job chapter 14, verse 1, who says, Man, born of a woman, only has a few days and they are full of trouble. He's not the most optimistic neighbor on the street. But if there's anyone who doesn't have to be optimistic, it's Job, right? I mean, Job says, listen, I mean, we live a few days and our few days are full of trouble. We are born of woman. That's the Bible's way of saying, of uh, speaking of humanity, even Jesus. Jesus spoke of John the Baptist and said, of those born of a woman, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. To say that Jesus is born of woman is to say that he is completely human. Jesus laughed when things were funny. You ever think about a laughing Jesus? You should, because there are a lot of things in this world that are humorous, and Jesus was a laughing Savior. He also wept when he stood at the tomb of his BFF Lazarus. When Jesus was hungry, his stomach growled. When Jesus walked many miles, the muscles in his legs were sore. When Jesus was working in the carpenter's shop and he took the hammer and he missed the nail and hit his finger, it hurt. Because Jesus is completely human. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Paul goes on and says, born under law. What does it mean for Jesus to be born under law? I think uh, one of the ways we can take this is to understand this is Paul's way of saying that Jesus is not only a man, but Jesus was a Jewish man. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was raised in a Jewish home. He read the Torah. He went to synagogue. He was born under the law. F.F. Bruce says, do not misunderstand what the apostle is saying. Jesus was born under law, but never under sin. Jesus is perfect. He's not guilty of any sin. You remember what Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it completely. So in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Galatians 4.4 tells us who Jesus is, tells us the gift of Christmas. Then we get to verse 5, and he tells us why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem those under law that we might receive full rights of sons. Why did God break the bank and give us Christmas? Why did God open the coffers and give us the treasure chest of heaven? Why did he do this? He did this to redeem us. That's a great, powerful word. It's a word that means to purchase. 
It's a word that means to buy. We understand uh, this concept of redemption, especially at this time of the year. When we redeem a coupon, someone bought something for us and we're able to redeem it. And and Jesus came to redeem us. Ultimately, the word redemption uh, finds its meaning in the marketplace and specifically in the marketplace when someone was sold as a slave for the person who would make that purchase would be said that he redeemed that slave. He, he purchased that slave. Jesus came to purchase us. Jesus came to buy us. And oh, you are so valuable in the sight of God because you have been purchased by the righteous blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed for your life. Because though you and I are sinners, and though we are far from God, and though we are criminals in the heavenly court, unable to liberate ourselves, Jesus came to redeem us. Jesus came to purchase us. He came not just for liberation, but he came also for adoption. He came so that we may receive full rights as sons and daughters of God. There are many ways to understand the concept of adoption. But let it be known that fundamentally adoption is the changing of relationships, right? A person who we could say had no father is adopted and now has a father. The one who really had no siblings is adopted and now can have siblings. The one who did not belong is now adopted and they can belong into a family. And in the same way, the apostle says that Jesus came. Jesus came in the fullness of time, at just the right time, in the nick of time. Jesus came. He was sent by God, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we may be adopted into God's family. Once again, it's F.F. Bruce who says that in the first century, whenever a father was going to adopt a child, that one that was adopted was deliberately selected by the adoptive father. Deliberately selected by the adoptive father. My friends, I want you to know this morning, you are handmade by God. And I also want you to know, you've been hand-selected by God. He has adopted you into his family. He's adopted me into his family. Listen, I know how vile I am. I got a sneaking suspicion. I know how vile you are. But yet God, in his infinite love for humanity, he has purchased us. He has adopted us. He has handmade us. He has hand-selected us to be part of his glorious family. I don't know about you, but that's the greatest gift I could ever hope for. For in Jesus, he is my treasure. In Jesus, he is my help. In Jesus, he is my hope. In Jesus, he is my home. In Jesus, he is my eternity. In Jesus, he is my treasure chest. In Jesus, he is all that I need. So when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we might receive 
full rights as children of God. This morning, if you are here and you are an adopted child of God, you are a brother or sister in Christ, you're a baptized believer in the Lord, I want you to know that you're welcome to gather around this table. Jesus is the host. He is the maitre d'. He is the one that invites us in. He is the one who serves us. He is the one that encourages us to feast on him by faith. Because in just a few moments, you're going to take a piece of bread, symbolic of his broken body, and you're going to take a cup, symbolic of his blood. And in the taking of his bread and taking of his blood, you're going to declare that Jesus is my Christ. He is everything that I've ever hoped for. He's everything that I need. Because when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that you and I may receive full rights as sons and daughters of God.